Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you this morning after being gone this past week. I watched last Sunday. I did participate in worship last Sunday from the airport in Dallas. Uh, I was watching online. It was just kind of fun to follow along and, and see what was what was happening here here in Westlake Village. I, I watched um, as I was traveling from visiting my friend at Baylor or my friend, my niece, uh, who is also my friend from Baylor University in Waco to a conference in Minnesota. I went from the land of y'all to the land of Ufta. The land of 98 degrees with all kinds of humidity to a land that actually had a fall. When I got home Thursday evening, I was exhausted. But it was so fun to go to Waco and to see that my my niece was thriving as a freshman. I met her friends. We, We toured the campus. We had some great barbecue. We went to a football game, and there's nothing like a football game in Texas. But after two days there, I learned a really important lesson. I learned a really important lesson. It was about 10 p.m., and we were walking from the football game where Baylor got crushed by UT, and we were walking back to their dorm. I had parked right next to the dorm, and one of Lindsay's friends said, Hey, who wants to go to Sonic? I know I should have known this for a long time, but it was at that moment that I realized I can no longer keep up with 18-year-olds. I did pretty well for 48 hours, but it was very, very easy to pass on joining these Baylor students on the street right outside of campus that's affectionately known as Grease Alley, where all of the fast food restaurants sit. Late night snack sounded awful at that point. I left the kids to their late night, went to sleep at my hotel, and met Lindsay for coffee the next morning before getting on an airplane to go to Minnesota. Kevin Robertson, who many of you know, picked me up at the airport, and I got a wonderful afternoon with his family uh, and, and an evening with his family before heading to the conference the next day. I'm still processing a lot of what I learned during that conference, and I'll be, be sharing some of that in the coming weeks with us. But there was one illustration that I heard during that conference that I think is applicable for where we're going today. A presenter was talking about some of the differences between today and when she grew up in the 80s. Any other 80s babies willing to admit it? There's at least a couple of us here. Uh, uh, Her her parents, along with my parents, maybe many of you and, and many other Parents spent all kinds of money and time bringing information into our homes. How many of you had one of these in your house growing up? An Encyclopedia Britannica. How many of you still have Encyclopedia Britannica in your house? She talked about how we've transitioned in the late 20th century from an information economy where parents spend as much money as they can bringing information into their homes so their kids can have access to that information. So we've moved from this information economy into what's now referred to by researchers as an attention economy. We don't buy encyclopedias anymore. Why? It's all available online. 
It's, it's all available online and there's Wikipedia. There's entire libraries available online. When I was sitting with the Baylor students, I was like, so do you spend a lot of time in the library? Why? I was like, well, to get the books to read, to read. We don't, it's all of our, we rent our textbooks. We rent our textbooks. We, we don't need to, we don't need to. And that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how many companies and people are competing for our attention through our phones, through our computers, through any way possible. So instead of parents working to bring all kinds of information into our homes, a lot of parents are spending time and money to learn how to limit the information that their kids have access to. I should say information and misinformation that their kids have access to. There is just so much out there. And we only have so much time. So this fall, we're we're talking about creating an inviting culture. How do we, as a church community, cultivate and build an inviting culture? And for years and years, that was really simple for the church. It was really easy for the church to do. We'd throw together a potluck. And people would come. We'd put together a game night and people would come. We'd have some sort of special service and and, and people would come with, with very little advertising, with very little work. People just showed up because there wasn't as much competing for our attention. There wasn't as much competing for our attention. And that's not how it works in today's attention based economy. There's all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of things pulling us one way or another. And they're not all bad. They're not all bad, right? Darvin and Kathy were at a soccer game this morning at 8 a.m. before they came to church. 8 a.m. They're at a soccer game. Is that a bad thing? No. Go cheer on grandkids and kids and everybody. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I don't want us to hear that everything that happens on Sunday morning is bad. It's not. It's not. During our our series this fall, we've talked about welcoming people like Oliver, the outsider, disinterested Doug and his cousin, Creaster, and sad Sam. This morning, I would like us to consider how we can create a hospitable community for busy Bob, or maybe the better way to say it is busy Bobs. Busy Bobs. Because there are so many busy people today. And from God resting on the seventh day of creation to Jesus getting away, to being intentional with getting away to make sure that his priorities aligned with his his father's scripture has A lot of examples, a lot of examples of of talking about how, you know what, taking time to be still, as our choir just sang, is incredibly important to slow down. And that's increasingly difficult to do in a world that just keeps keeps speeding up and moving faster and faster. So how do we invite our busy friends to journey with us? When they have four or five or six other invitations as well. The passage we read from Psalms is a great reminder that God is in control even when the world seems to be spinning out of control. And our New Testament passages this morning remind us of what exactly we are offering. 
what exactly we are offering as a church when we say, hey, come and journey with us. What are we inviting people into? What are we inviting people to, to be a part of? Both of our, our New Testament passages come from Matthew, with the first telling of two seemingly harsh encounters between Jesus and a couple of busy bobs who were at least somewhat interested in following him. I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates what happens in the message, starting at chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw that a curious crowd was growing by the minute, he told his disciples to get him out of there to the other side of the lake. As they left, a religion scholar asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever, he said. Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best end, you know. I read that and kind of laughed because our denomination's conference was at the Hyatt Regency in, in Minnesota. This, 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 that. Another follower said, Master, excuse me. For a couple of days, please, I have my father's funeral to take care of. Jesus refused. First things first. Your business is life, not death. Pursue me. Follow me. There's another short reading from Matthew that has a, a similar message in it. it. It at least appears at first to be less harsh. But when we consider the context, it comes on the heels of Jesus calling his people, his followers, to repent. And we see both sides of, of this in Jesus' preaching and in Jesus' conversations with people of repent, which literally means to turn around and seek life, find life. He ends with an invitation that many of us need to hear today. Are you tired? Anybody want to raise their hand? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we do our best here at WPC to start and end our service every week at 10 a.m. And if you've been in a, a meeting with me or a gathering with me or you're in a, a high school small group with me on Friday mornings, you'll know that when I say a time, 10 a.m., I usually mean 10, Brady, 10-ish, 10-ish. So we have our, 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 our pre-worship gathering today that's supposed to be at 9.30. And I sent out this really harsh email to all of our liturgists, everybody who's leading worship. Hey, we got to be there at 9.30 because we got a lot to plan. we got to be ready. Today's a packed service. It's World Communion. Who was late? 9.30-ish. 9.30-ish. Presbyterians strive to be decent and in order. And if we're not careful, the reason that we try to start at 10 is 10 can quickly become 10.05. 10.05 can quickly become 10.15. And then 10.30, and then why show up at all? And more importantly, there's all kinds of things happening on Sunday. 8 a.m. soccer games. All kinds of things happening on Sunday, from Sunday school to committee meetings to brunch and time with family and friends to naps. Who else is a Sunday napper? It's the best day for a nap. It's the best day for a nap. 
Haley was out of town a couple weekends ago and uh, she was a little nervous to leave, but I assured her that the kids had everything covered and they'd be able to take care of me. (laughs) That Sunday, we went from our worship service here on Sunday morning to a, a committee meeting, to soccer pictures for Piper, a birthday party for a friend, a quick stop at home to walk the dog, then soccer pictures for Thomas, then back to a birthday party before finishing the day with our WPC softball team. We won that day. And then off to dinner with some friends from our WPC softball team. While we were out and about, I ran into a friend who knows that I'm a pastor. And when you're out on Sunday morning and you run into friends who know that you're a pastor and they are Christian, they usually say to you, oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't at church this morning. He knows I'm a pastor. I could see the guilt on his face. And he says, man, I haven't been at church in months. I'm so sorry. And I could have heaped all kinds of guilt and said, you're right, sinner. (laughs) I could have. You're right, sinner, get get to church. But that (laughs) wouldn't have done any good at all. I mean, think of the day I was having as I ran into him. I knew how busy life was could be. So I said, I I totally get it. You're good. The days of everything halting on Sunday and businesses shutting down are long gone, at least here in our community. And when we invite someone to church, we have to recognize that 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 person already has a ton on their plate. We can't assume they have space in an already packed schedule. The invitation, it has to be to something more. It's not just come to our program, come spend an hour with us a week. We are inviting busy bobs to an ongoing relationship where we journey through life together seven days a week while we're here in church and while we're not. About a decade ago, there was a, a study performed by a, a company named Oxano, and, and they looked into how many church-committed Americans, how many hours they spend a week, people who are committed to their church, Americans who are committed to their church, how many hours a week they spend with their church community. What do you think they found? How many hours a week are people who are committed to their church spending with their church community? Raise your hands if you think it was five hours a week. Ten hours a week. Three hours. These are people who are committed to their church. These are people who are are committed to their church. I know some of you here are, are well above... That, that number, and some of us are, are well below, but a lot of it just depends on the week. Sometimes we have soccer on Sunday. It's not about earning gold stars for each hour that we're here, nor is it about heaping shame and guilt when people aren't here on a Sunday morning. The point is we are all busy both inside and outside of the church. So as we invite people to join in worship on Sunday, to to serve alongside us on committees, 
to come to Wednesdays at Westminster or, or to, to hang out on the softball field on Sunday night. We have to take these three hours into account. We have to. The last thing many of you need is another church program. I'll just say it. And one of the things many of you need is another church program. It goes both ways. And three hours isn't some magic number. It's not like that's the limit. It's, it's, not, it's not like that's the limit. But, but some of us get so busy with church activity that we forget our calling to follow Jesus. We forget how to be still and to know that, that God is God, that that is what we are committed to. These three hours, it means we respect how overwhelmed Busy Bob and his friends are when we ask them to join us. And when someone who hasn't been here for a while does show up, it's not helpful to greet them with, Where have you been? Or, What are you doing here? We need to welcome them with open arms. With open arms. If our end goal is journeying with one another, again, it's not just about Sunday morning or any other day. It's about finding life as we journey together and follow Jesus. We're reminded of that in the two passages that we read from Matthew. First, we looked at a a conversation between Jesus and and two busy bobs. One was a scholar and the other just wanted to, to bury his dad. When Matthew writes about this encounter, he places it right in the middle of Jesus healing a man with leprosy, healing a a centurion's daughter, uh, all kinds of other miracles that he performs where he's he's healing people. And right before he calms the storm with the disciples as they're out on the lake. Remember that that wonderful encounter where Jesus is sleeping on the front of the boat and the disciples start panicking. So right in between all of these, these miracles... We have this encounter where, where Jesus is walking from one place to the next and the, the first busy Bob comes to him and he says, hey, hey, I, I want to come with you. And he says, hey, you're a scholar. You're a leader in the church. You know that we're, we're not just staying at nice places. It's not all easy. Jesus turns to the scholar and he says, you sure you want to follow me? It's not all comfortable. If you want to follow me, you need to step out of your comfort zone. And then, to the man who wanted to bury his dad, if you want to follow me, your business is life, not death. How many of you read that and say, ouch, that's harsh? It is. It's crazy harsh. Now Matthew points out that this man, it's important that we note it, Matthew points out that this, this man was already a follower of Jesus. He was already a disciple. It wasn't someone who had just begun their journey following Jesus. And I have to believe that if it was somebody who had just begun following Jesus, that the response may have been different. But still, a son going home to take care of a dying or recently deceased father seems like a reasonable request. We need to pay close attention to what Matthew writes here, or else we dwell on this reasonable request. The man doesn't ask to go home for a moment. 
He, he, he doesn't ask to go home at the end of the week. He says, first, first, remember, already a follower of Jesus, first, before I keep following you. Jesus isn't telling his followers or us that it's okay to ignore our parents. Not at all. That's not what's, what's happening here. He was a good Jewish man. He knew the law. He knew what it said about honoring father and mother, and, and he talked about it elsewhere. But he also knew that the law was strict about idolatry, about having no God above the God. His response in that first century Jewish context was about priorities. It was, what is your priority? What is it? Same response to the man who was seeking a comfortable hotel. What is your priority? What's your priority? When Haley and I felt called uh, by God to, to go to Malawi years ago, my biggest struggle was leaving my 94-year-old grandmother. She was the matriarch of our family, and I was convinced that at my ordination service, that we, we left a, a week later and she was there, I was convinced that that was the last time we were going to see her. I remember crying in my parents' garage, feeling like I was a terrible grandson. And yet, she wanted me to go. She supported me in going. She encouraged me to go. She sat in the front row at my ordination service with a huge smile because she got to see her grandson live into his calling. And that gave her life. That gave her life. Now, we couldn't have known that Grandma was going to live another nine years after that. Um, but when I read this story, I resonate because I felt that tension. I felt that tension. I imagine that's close to what this man felt as he approached Jesus. I'm sure he was disappointed in Jesus' response. And Jesus... If we just kind of read it, it may seem like he's kicking him when he's down, but I don't think that's the case. He, he's direct, but he doesn't kind of heap shame on him over and over and over again. Instead, he reminds him that following Jesus is about pursuing life, pursuing life. For us, that might be inviting a person for the third or fourth time and saying, hey, I know you're busy. But I see how burnt out and tired you are. I promise. Church isn't about just adding something else to your busy schedule. Joining our community isn't just about adding something else on a Sunday morning. If you can't come to Sunday, that's okay. There's other ways to participate in our life and in, in, in our, our church community. Being a part of Westminster is about journeying together. It's about finding life. So it's about asking over and over and over again and, and, and saying, hey, let's, let's talk about priorities in an open and honest conversation. And we see that, that even more, that, that, that conversation about finding life and priorities in our, our second passage. Where, you know, we read, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? All many questions that plenty of my friends have said, yes, that's why I don't go to church anymore. That's why. Jesus responds, come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Remember that this invitation comes right on the heels of Jesus calling his followers to repent. And I know that word has all kinds of connotations and all kinds of of meanings. But again, it, it literally means just turning and pursuing something else. I see that you're tired. I see that you're burnt out. I see that you're exhausted. Repent, turn around, and look for life. That is what Jesus is inviting his followers to be a part of. That's what he's inviting us to be a part of. That's what we are tasked with inviting friends to be a part of. So we see our busy friends and we invite them to to turn around, to slow down, to pursue life. I chose Eugene Peterson's translation this morning because I, I love the imagery that he, he kind of gets behind in his translation. It paints this picture of a methodical journey. Jesus doesn't respond to busyness by simply saying, come to church, come to church, then you'll figure it all out. He says, slow down, be still, breathe, walk with me. Then you'll find real rest. Then you will recover your life. Friends, we live in a world with all kinds of quick fixes to busyness. Right? How many of you read One Minute Manager? Right? Do this. Do that. Change this. Change that. Give a few minutes a day. And then you'll have everything figured out. Everything will get better. The reality is, all that all of those things have done is create a busier world. A busier world. An invitation to church should be different. It should be different. We're not just asking our friends to add another activity, to read another book, or to pick up another passing fad. We're welcoming them as exhausted, tired, frazzled and busy people and we're saying slow down come and rest take some time and let's pursue life together it might be an invitation to to sunday morning it might be to wednesday evening it might be to a a conversation over coffee uh, during the week or to dinner at your house may we be a church that invites our busy friends into something more than another program. Let's commit to journeying with them as we pursue life together, however that might look. Amen?